Hello and welcome to today's episode. Today I am talking with Jennifer Create Solis about the courageous path to healing, which is also the title of her book. You are listening to Creating Wellness from Within, a podcast devoted to helping you live your best life through self-care and wellness. In each episode, we strive to offer you actionable advice and tools to help you on your journey towards greater personal wellness. I am your host, Amy Zellmer. I am editor-in-chief of Minnesota Yoga and Life magazine and the Brain Health magazine. Additionally, I've published four books on the topic of brain injury and concussion. I am passionate about yoga, wellness, photography, travel, and all things glittery. You can learn more about me at creatingwellnessfromwithin.com. Today, my guest is Jennifer Create Solis, and she is a certified yoga therapist specializing in eating disorders and body image. She is a sought-after international speaker and former host of Real Body Talk, an online interview talk show. Through her virtual school, Yoga for Eating Disorders, Jennifer offers individual yoga therapy, groups, classes, and continuing education and mentoring for professionals. She is the author of Body Mindful Yoga and The Courageous Path to Healing. Her writing has been featured widely in print, broadcast, and online media. Welcome, Jennifer. So happy to have you here today. Thank you so much, Amy. I'm I'm thrilled for the opportunity. Well, I am happy to, you know, cover this topic today and, um, you know, the courageous path to healing, right? Like there is something very courageous to healing. It's not easy. Um, and there's, you know, there's no one right or wrong way to, to get there either. So, um, Jennifer, where would you like to start? Where would you like to dive in? Well, I'm happy to to talk about, uh, I can share a little bit about my story and what what led me to write the book, if that would be helpful or of interest. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, So my story is is one of eating disorder recovery. Um, I've been on my, my journey for well over 20 years and now have the the great gift and blessing to be able to support others on their journeys, um, recovering from eating disorders. Um, for me, that that journey started in college and um, resurfaced early on um, in motherhood when my my children were very very young. And yoga has always been a big part of my journey, a big part of my healing. I discovered yoga um, shortly after my first. Um, hospital stay, I should say, um, for treatment for an eating disorder. Um, I had always been an athlete. And as I got deeper into the eating disorder, exercise became a part of that disorder. And so part of, you know, recovering was having to sit, having to stop moving, having to um, not participate in exercise and working out and sports. And so after a time, as I got stronger in my recovery, I really began missing that part of myself, that very natural part of my character and personality who loved to, to move and sweat and, 
you know, work hard. And at this time, it was early 2000s and yoga was starting to become popular here in the States. And I thought, well, I'll give it a try. It's supposed to be good for you, right? Um, and this was something that wasn't related to the eating disorder in any way. Um, and it was through that process of doing doing it on my own in my apartment or going to classes, finding a community that I started to relate to my body in a new way. It was no longer about controlling it or forcing it to do, you know, work at a certain level or for a certain amount of time or this was about just really being present with what I was sensing and what I was feeling um, and being in a community that talked about acceptance and compassion and letting go of expectations and listening to your body. These were all concepts that I had heard, but hadn't really applied to myself. And so that was, that was a really powerful time. Led me to teach for many, many years before going to grad school, getting married, having kids. And that's when I relapsed um, at that point and uh, got strong in my recovery. And that's when I found yoga therapy and studied for mm. three years. And, you know, and, and that's when I really learned about the philosophies and the concepts and how to live our yoga. It doesn't require a yoga mat um, to be right. engaged with, with our practice. And so that's, that was very pivotal in my, in my healing. Yeah. And, you know, I, I assume that eating disorders are a lot like sobriety recovery. Like it's always, you're always in recovery because you can always relapse. Um, like you said, you did have a relapse. Um, so w- would you like to talk a little bit to that? Sure. About my relapse specifically? Uh, sure. Or just like, it, in, and also just like in general for maybe people who don't understand eating disorders Absolutely. and how it is like a lifelong um, recovery. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for, for raising that. So eating disorders are mental illnesses that affect people of all ages, all body sizes, all races, all genders, all socioeconomic backgrounds. You know, I think we have in our social consciousness, the idea that an eating disorder looks like an emaciated white teenager of middle upper class, right? And yes, that individual, those individuals are part of the eating disorder community, but they are not the entire eating disorder community, Right. right? And so there's been a lot of awareness raising around how eating disorders affect people really of all ages and sizes. And all genders. Um, and this is really important, all races. This is really, really, really important um, that we expand our social understanding of, of who is affected by eating disorders. Um, you know, lots of, I think, elements come together to create eating disorders. So that can be biological. Um, there are studies that suggest that eating disorders are, you know, partly genetic. Um, so there's a biological component, environment, environmental component, um, and eating disorders are the second most deadliest illnesses, mental illnesses to opioid addiction. Wow. Um, so they, they can be fatal. There's a variety of types of eating disorders. So again, our social conscious understanding is that eating disorders are just about restriction of food, right? Starving. Right. Um, but there's there, there's more than just that variation of eating disorders. So certainly anorexia nervosa, which is the restrictive form. We also have bulimia, which is 
around um, some of the like, main characteristics are um, purging, right? So whether that's through vomiting, exercise, other forms of compensatory behaviors, right? Um, binge eating disorder is one of the most, um, the highest rate of eating disorder in the United States. Um, I always recommend people um, refer to the National Eating Disorder Association website for information about the specifics of eating disorders, symptomology and characteristics. And they also have really wonderful resources on how to seek treatment, how to get help. They have hotlines, you know, so if you or a loved one who's listening um, is struggling with an eating disorder, but doesn't know where to turn, that's a really good starting point. Mm. And so, yes, to your point, Amy, that, you know, recovery is a long-term process. And that's something that I try to be really honest about in my book, right? And that's why it takes courage and commitment, right? Because of course, as humans, when we suffer, we want that suffering to go away in a snap, right? Um, but it, it doesn't work like that. An eating disorder becomes a whole entire belief system. And I often say that it is a result. It's a way to cope with pain. It's a way to cope with trauma. It's a way to cope with very difficult things that have happened in one's life, right? So I want to really shatter that myth that an eating disorder is about looking a certain way, Mm -hmm. right? The eating disorder gets played out in our body image and in our relationship with food. Um, But below that is, you know, how, how someone is trying to cope with something very painful. And certainly those behaviors aren't sustainable. They're not healthy. Um, so having to rewire one's brain, having to re, to kind of come to see that they're not healthy when they feel safe, right? Like, because it's protecting me from feeling something I don't want to feel, right? So the recovery process takes so much courage because it is the calling into feeling what we don't want to feel to addressing right. what we don't want to address, to facing the things that are painful and learning how to, to cope with them and relate to them in new ways. So it's a big undertaking and it does take a lot of courage. Yeah. And, you know, and, and you see so many, um, yoga studios are, are guilty of it, but a lot, a lot of it is like your fitness centers, right? Like, um, you know, after Thanksgiving, for instance, it might be like, Mm -hmm. come burn off your Thanksgiving dinner or, you know, after a holiday or, and it's just, it's so frustrating. I just like, want to like, just shake them. Right. Like, do you understand what you're doing with this marketing? Um, it's, it's harmful, um, particularly for those who are dealing with an eating disorder, right. Because that's sort of what plays in your mind, right. Like, um, like you were talking earlier about how you would work out, constantly work out, um, to burn off the calories. Right. And, you know, we, they, it gets so caught up in your mind and then you see something like that and you're like, oh yes, I must work off my, my Thanksgiving dinner. Um, and you know, not necessarily in a healthy way. Right. Absolutely. It's a huge problem. The ways in which diet culture has infiltrated you know, yoga spaces, the wellness industry. I mean, that that's another whole topic, obviously. Right. Um, you know, um, you know, part of what I do at Yoga Freeing Disorders is I love 
mentoring and training professionals who are interested in the role of yoga in recovery. And we spend a lot of time talking about language and how do we, you know, become very sensitive and aware of our language and intentionally begin to eliminate those diet culture messages from our language, from our spaces and these settings where people are coming to feel safe. They're coming to have an experience um, in their bodies. And so if those spaces are reiterating those harmful messages, then those spaces are not going to be safe. Um, And so this is, I think, a really important task in our yoga community to to begin coming aware of how are we reiterating these harmful messages and we need to be remembering that the people who are showing up in our classes you know they have trauma they have Mm -hmm. eating disorders they have things in their lives that are challenges to them right maybe and they don't need to be a clinical diagnosis by the way right we don't have to have a clinical diagnosis of an eating disorder to be struggling with our relationship with food or our bodies right. Right? because we live in a world that creates those problems through the messaging right um and so yeah i think it's it's a huge responsibility that our yoga industry needs to to look at mhm and, and you know what would what would some of your thoughts be on messaging and language that we use you know what would be um if you have any suggestions for anyone listening um who, you know, and I, and I, you know, I don't want to like make people think that, you know, like if they are using that messaging, they might not even be aware of the harm that it's causing. Right. When we know better, we do better. Um, and so what are, you know, some, um, like a mini lesson you could give us on language around that kind of stuff? Sure. So something that I, I teach is that, you know, we can make any class, any yoga class in any setting and any style of yoga, trauma-informed or trauma-sensitive by changing a few things or becoming mindful of a few things. Um, And because I'm coming from the lens of eating disorder recovery, my suggestions are kind of focused on in there, but, um, you know, a lot of the language that is encouraging people to prove themselves through their bodies for example. So the striving language, the competitive language. And again, like you said, people don't even realize they're doing it. This language has been passed down. I mean, I spent years doing it. I didn't know any better until I kind of was, you know, like had my own realization of like, oh, that language isn't helping me. It's probably not helping someone else too. Right. Um, So this isn't to shame anybody listening. This is just to say, hey, let's come together and think about this for a minute. Maybe we don't need to ask people in every single pose to sink to their lowest point, to reach to their highest point, to bend their knee to their highest point, to, you know, maybe we can just invite people to explore. What does it feel like to lift your arm? What does it feel like to bend your knees? What do you notice about this? You know, honoring your body, that message of just honor your body, meet yourself where you are today, right? Um, you don't need to ask for more than your body than it has to give. Encouraging people to realize that, you know, these shapes, these yoga poses, we can let go of outcomes and just focus on the experience. Like, what are you noticing about being in this shape versus 
you know, are you doing, are you reaching to the highest point? You know, there's a difference. There's a difference. So always the striving language I'm encouraging people to pay attention to thinking about, you know, what are the action words that we're using in our classes? Um, because we want to remember ahimsa, right? Always in right. our words. Um, so are the action words encouraging competition with self or others, right? Are they encouraging, striving, or pushing, or controlling, right? Um, and, you know, I want to say that I understand that, like, the more fitness forms of yoga, I get, I get they have a place in our world. Mm-hmm. And I'm not judging that. I know that that speaks to people. I mean, I started with, through power yoga that spoke to me. I was an athlete. So this isn't to like downplay any styles at all. I think even a power yoga setting, we can soften our language a little bit and encourage people, let people know they can work hard, but they don't have to take it out on themselves. Yeah. Um, so that, that's the key. Some of the keys that I focus on, there are certainly you know, other trauma-informed specific recommendations in terms of, you know, the teacher stays on in the front of the room on the mat and doesn't walk around as a way to kind of, you know, for people that have had trauma in their lives, not knowing where the teacher is can be very unsettling, mm-hmm. right? Certainly there's the conversation about, are we doing hands-on assists? Are we not doing hands-on assists, right? Certainly from a trauma-informed perspective. In some schools of thought, we're not doing them. In others, we are, right? So I think it's also just guiding people who are leading these classes to check in with themselves. You know, what works for you? What's been helpful to you in your own journey of self-exploration? What things maybe rev up competition or striving or judgment? And be courageous and make shifts in your teaching based on what you know about your experience. Cause if you're having that experience, others are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're so right that everyone showing up to your class has some form of trauma, right? We all have trauma. Um, you never know what is going to trigger that trauma. And so just, you know, you always just have to be prepared that something can come up and, and yoga brings up stuff, right? Like that's kind of the point we're going inward and we're being reflective and it can bring things up that you weren't expecting. Right. Um, and so just being aware and prepared for that. And, you know, I love your example of not, you know, it doesn't have to be competitive. It's yoga is not a competitive sport. Right. (laughs) Um, and you know, I, yeah, I, and I agree, you know, the fitness yoga isn't my thing at all. And it, it does, it serves its place. Like you said, you were an athlete when you found it. And, um, you know, there's definitely, as I get older, I notice my students are older (laughs) and we don't have the same, um, momentum and flexibility that we may have had. (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. I I agreed. And I, I think that certainly from an eating disorder recovery standpoint, sometimes those, those styles, um, aren't the most aligned with where we're that, that healing process. It doesn't, and I'm not saying that those 
practices aren't healing or can't be healing, right? If I think if they're led with some trauma-informed language and, um, but because so many who struggle with eating disorders have a complicated relationship with movement to start with, I tend to be biased toward more the gentle, slow, Mm -hmm. reflective spaces um, for that self-discovery to take place, right? Which Mm -hmm. is the calling of yoga, right? Self-discovery, self-exploration, self-study. So, yeah, I think... I think there's a lot of opportunity for our yoga spaces to become more safe and compassion and sensitive. Yeah. And, you know, I really encourage, er, you know, early in my teacher training, I took some trauma. I think I took a 30 hour um, trauma informed teacher training and it's just little things that you, you know, you don't think about, like if you ask your class, if you tell them to close their eyes, for instance, um, that might not feel safe for some people. Um, and so just invite them if they'd like to close their eyes or you may just soften your gaze, right? Like just changing that language. Yeah. It's yeah. It's exactly the invitation, a lot of options, right. Um, let, you know, no hierarchy in mm-hmm. yoga shapes, right? Like we're all, if we have, if we're in a space where there's enough blocks for everybody to have them, we all start with blocks, right? And I like to think of like each shape as a journey and we're starting off in the same spot on that journey. Maybe it's with blocks, right? Whatever it is. Um, and we're exploring that journey. Um, so we're letting go of language like, you know, the, I don't even remember it anymore because I don't use it, but you know, like the fullest expression of the pose yeah, or right. if you can't do this, then try this. Or if you, mm. if you can do this, then do this, you know, we want to try to like create even playing fields with yes. classes so that everybody feels included. We want to have options that allow accessibility for everybody. Right. Um, and I think those, those, those things go a long way yeah. for people to feel safe because like I always say, you know, it's a big ask for, you know, for people to come into a room of strangers, move their bodies in strange shapes, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's a big ask. And for someone who is not, does not feel comfortable in their body, whether it's body yeah. image related, trauma related, whatever else, and maybe they have an injury who knows what, what people carry with them. Right. Um, remembering that it's a big ask. And for most of us teachers, it's like second nature. It's like, whatever, we just get on our mat, we do our thing, but that's not for everybody. It takes time and we want people to feel safe and included. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, um, recently I've been dealing with a knee injury. Don't know what I did to it, but I made it angry. And so I have not been getting down to the floor. I don't sit on the floor. I definitely don't kneel. Um, standing, I'm fine. Um, so I've been uh, at my, at a recent class I went to, um, I sat on a bench on the side and, um, you know, I had told the teacher beforehand that that's what I was going to be doing. And she was like, oh, good for you. You know, like, cause so many people want, they either just wouldn't go to class 
or they would try to suffer through it. Right. Um, and I think it's so important to know that like you can use a chair, you can use a bench, you know, you can use whatever to accommodate, um, someone who's dealing with an injury and it's, it's just such a simple thing we can do to make it accessible to that person. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, you know, maybe you're coming off long COVID. I have a couple of students that I have. Yeah. You're raising your hand. Um, I, you know, I've got a few students coming off long COVID and they, they sit, you know, we put them in a chair and they, if they feel like they can stand up for a little bit, they stand up, but then they go back to the chair when they need to. So, um, just giving people permission that it's okay to be doing it differently than everyone else in class. Absolutely. Absolutely. So breaking out of ideals and coming into our own experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jennifer, if um, anyone listening would like to learn more about you or find more about your work, your, <clears throat> excuse me, your website is yoga for eating disorders. And it's the number four yoga for eating disorders.com. And there is a clickable link. So wherever you're listening to this podcast, um, you can go to the show notes for a clickable link to her website, but Jennifer, tell us a little bit about what people can find on your website and how to work with you. Yeah, absolutely. So we offer one-on-one yoga therapy. So if you're interested in exploring how yoga can be a part of your eating disorder recovery, um, through one-on-one work. I'm happy to explore that with you. We also offer a variety of programs, um, yoga and yoga programs, meditation programs, writing programs. We have a, our goal is to kind of fill the gap in, in recovery opportunities and experiences. So you can find some virtual programs there. Um, we have a whole lineup of classes coming out in the fall. And also you're welcome to join the Yoga Freedom Disorders Community Facebook group. Wonderful. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for being here. This has been, um, you know, just a really important conversation, I think, for everyone listening. Absolutely. Thank you again for the invitation. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please do consider leaving a five-star review wherever you are listening to help others on their own wellness journey discover this podcast. If you are enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting it through a membership on Patreon for just $5 a month. That's patreon.com slash Amy Zalmer. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day, everyone, and I'll see you in the next episode.